It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 367 of the Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Piller up in Collingwood. And we went straight to the source to learn about Tyler Boucher. His father, Brian Boucher, joins us on today's show, not only as a proud father, but as a 13-year NHL vet, former first-round pick himself, and now current NHL analyst with ESPN. That still sounds weird to say, but he's been on national broadcast for the last five years with NBC. He's one of the best analysts in the game, so he gives us insight into his son. We ask a scouting report straight up. How would you rate your son's game and a whole lot more? So stay tuned for an exciting interview with Brian Boucher. Pilsy and I will also touch on free agency coming up tomorrow and the World Junior Summer Showcase is back in action later today. This is the Locked On Senators Podcast, your team every day. Today is Tuesday, July 27th and Pilsy. Just another example of how true it is that goalies do make the best analysts. Yeah, we had an amazing chat with Brian Boucher. We went a lot longer than we thought we would, but we were having so much fun. We just kept it rolling. And he told us a lot about Tyler that you guys are going to love to hear. And we got into his NHL career. Like, let's not forget, this guy had 13 seasons. He played so many NHL games, over 300 games in a career that spanned a long time. So he's got some knowledge and some good stories to tell, that's for sure. Some of those stories involve your Ottawa Senators. He was a part of the Philadelphia Flyers, well, three different times. Times, but in his first stint in 2002, that famous playoff series where Patty Leem had three shutouts, Roman Czech Manic, the goalie for the Flyers. You'll hear Brian tell the story, but wanted to get the hell out of town. And uh, ultimately, Brian Boucher ends up playing game five of that series. So we're not going to banter too long. We want to get right to this interview. It's almost an hour long. So before we get to it, let's tell you about our friends at Rock Auto. Rock Auto is a family business that serves auto parts to customers online, and they've been doing it for 20 years. They're ahead of their time, and rockauto.com allows you to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers in the same easy place. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily drive, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly, see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. All we ask is that you put locked on in their how did you hear about us box that way they know that we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need visit rockauto.com and tell them locked on sent you 
Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here he is, longtime NHL goalie and proud father of Sen's 10th overall pick, Tyler. It's Brian Boucher. All right, we now welcome a very, very special guest. This former first-round pick went on to play a 16-year pro career that included an AHL Calder Cup and setting the still-current NHL record for most consecutive shutouts before swapping his goalie gear for a headset in 2013. New to that side of the game, he worked his way from studio analyst on Flyers Regional Broadcast to in-game color analyst inside the glass on NBC. Going forward, you'll find him calling games on ESPN under the U.S. national TV deal. Brian Boucher, welcome to Locked On Senators. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for the, the kind intro. Uh, great to be with you guys. Hey, well, I had to mention first-round pick, but you got beat this weekend. You went 22nd. <laughs> Your son, Tyler, gets selected 10th overall. So we're not only talking to a great analyst, but a proud dad as well. And we got to see the event on Friday, but there's a whole year leading up to that. What was the experience like in such a strange season? Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Uh, you know, just the whole, I think life in general for all of us, uh, the last year and a half plus, I mean, this whole pandemic is, you know, it's, it's wreaked havoc on, you know, everybody. And, uh, you know, I think for, for these young hockey players, you know, they're, they're trying to find their way to, to continue to improve their, their craft, yet they're in an important year where it's a draft year. So, you know, there's shutdowns, there's, uh, you know, there's limited play, that, you know, just everything that went into it. I mean, the amount of stress for, and anxiety for all these kids that were draft eligible this year, I, I can't imagine. It's, it's a stressful year um, normally, you know, and, and then you have to factor in everything that these kids had to go through and not playing in front of fans and stuff like that. And then you think about the kids that were in the OHL, I mean, None of them got to play in the OHL and, and how, how difficult that, that is for them. And um, so it, it was an interesting year, but, uh, you know, happy that it's, uh, you know, the draft is in the rearview mirror. I think it's, it's one of those stops along the way that as a player, you, uh, you know, you want to get drafted. Uh, for some people, they want to get drafted as high as possible. But the reality is it's just one of those uh, benchmarks in, in what you hope is a long career and you just check off a box and you move on. And, you know, there's much work that was put in to get to that moment. Uh, there's even more work that goes into, uh, you know, post-draft where, you know, you want to crack an NHL lineup and then eventually stay in the NHL. So uh, a great moment uh, for Tyler, a great moment for all these kids that got drafted. Um, but now, now the work uh, really starts if they want to be NHLers. Yeah, absolutely. And this draft year, like you mentioned, is very different than usual. And you had a draft experience of yourself uh, in 1995. Like Ross mentioned, you were drafted in the first round. Now, apart from all the COVID stuff, what would you say is the biggest difference with the draft process from when you were drafted 26 years ago to how it happens today in 2021 for your son, Tyler? Well, just the uh, the amount of uh, vetting that these teams do nowadays is, is so far advanced compared to when I was drafted in 95. I mean, we had, you know, we had meetings with, with teams, but I remember my draft was in Edmonton and, um, you know, you'd go there and there was every, all the teams were at different hotels and the days leading up to the draft, you'd go have meetings with certain teams. And, and that was the only time they really got a chance to talk to you. And you'd have like, 
you know, eight scouts in the room and the general manager and, and, and they, you know, they'd grill you for about 15, 30 minutes or so. And then you'd move on to the next team and you'd have different appointments in different hotels. But now, I mean, uh, especially in this, this process with zoom and stuff, I, I know speaking for Tyler, I mean, he had in some days, three, four zooms a day and he wow. probably he talked to teams not only once, but three, four times they would, they would have multiple zooms with them. So uh, the amount of work that was put in by these teams to to really dig in and, and find out about these players, it it r- truly is remarkable. And I, and I know that uh, you know when it comes to the draft, I think everybody has their thoughts and opinions on players uh, as fans. But the reality is, these teams are really doing a lot a, a lot of homework, a lot more homework than than when I was coming up. And um, they they have their own thoughts on players and. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, when you have more information, uh, you can make more informed decisions. And I think uh, for the most part, it's always a, you know, the draft is always one of those things where it's it's never perfect, right? Because you're drafting 18-year-old kids. It's hard to project what they're going to look like at 24, 25. But I think they've got it down now where they, they feel much more confident in the information that they're getting uh, and the fact that they can get to these kids and talk to these kids uh, much more thoroughly, which allows them to make a much more informed decision. Yeah, well, we're happy to see at least Tyler was able to be among you guys and teammates. But uh, he said after the the pick that you winked at him right before. (laughs) Was it your former colleague, Pierre Maguire, who tipped you off to the pick? No, it was not. uh, It was not Pierre. I don't know. I guess I should give him a head. Yeah, Tom Holy, who's the PR guy for the Dallas Stars. It was with me in San Jose. And he sent me a text and it was on, you know, delay. So it was probably I got like a 30 second heads up. And all he put was Ottawa. (laughs) <laughs> and so um, I was like, whoa, okay. And so I looked over at Tyler and I gave him a wink and I think I spooked him. Uh, I, I think I, he looked at me like he couldn't, he was like, really? And I, and I said, yeah. And so he was, I think he just all of a sudden, I think he just got like, he froze. Like he just couldn't believe, you know, that it was happening. So uh, I, you know, I looked at the reaction. He looked so serious. And Tyler's one of those kids that I think when he gets, um, excited or gets in a certain situation he kind of like you know he freezes and maybe he was afraid to show his emotion but I know deep down inside he was he was extremely thrilled um and you know it's a big moment for these kids I just go back to my time when I was drafted I I remember my uh Brian Berard who was drafted by Ottawa uh first overall that year we grew up together so we're really good friends and uh I'm sitting in the stands and he saw on the computer screen down down on the floor because he had got done with his pictures and interviews and all that. He looked up at me and he was waving at me and he told me that I was going next. And I was like, what? You know, kind of like the same type of thing. I got a heads up. And then once your name gets called, you you black out. You have no idea, you know, what you remember. I, I don't even remember walking down the stairs. I don't remember going on stage. I don't remember any of it. I see the pictures and I'm like, wow, I don't. You know, the whole thing's a blur. And I think for Tyler, it was the same type of situation. Yeah, Sens fans were really excited to see Jake Sanderson. Talk about smooth skating defensemen like Brian Berard, but Jake Sanderson making sure to go see his, hopefully again, be future teammates. We, we're hopeful yeah. that's going to be as soon as the World Juniors as well. But, I mean, you're an analyst yourself. We're not going to let you get off the hook. What's your scouting report on Tyler? <laughs> Uh, Tyler's a, a, you know, a strong, uh, hard-nosed power forward, uh, likes, likes to play a physical game, hits hard, hits, hits hard. Like when he hits, he hits, uh, to make a mark, but I, you know, he, it's not, that's not really what he totally is. I mean, he, he can play, he can make plays. Um, 
He can, you know, the one thing about him at the, at the U.S. program in his first year, you know, he didn't play a lot of power play time. Like he was, he was a guy that uh, was, was not put in those situations. So the points that he did have is in, in his 17 year old year were primarily five on five. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that, you know, when you look at the numbers, they, they may not jump out at you, but you know, when you don't get those, 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 uh, those looks, I mean, the numbers, you know, they're going to be harder to come by. And then I think at the start of this year, uh, he started to get some power play time and got off to a really good start. And you could see the work that he put in, in the summertime, he got stronger, he got faster. Um, and, and he started to gain some confidence too. put a lot of work in, in the off season on, on his skill set, And it was starting to pay off. He got off to a great start. And then unfortunately the injuries hit. So uh, I think there's, there's upside there when it comes to his skill set. he can make plays, he can skate, but you know, the, he obviously he's known for that physical part of his game. He doesn't shy away from it, but um, I think there's an underrated uh, offensive part to his game that I think is still yet to be tapped. And that's going to be, the goal for him is to, to continue to improve at that. Uh, and I think, you know, by going to college, that's a great thing to do. You know, he can kind of, he can kind of chip away at that and just continue to work on his offensive instincts and his offensive game and, uh, and round his game up. Yeah. As Sens fans, we're definitely aware of his physical presence. So we're stoked to see if he can up that offensive upside, like you're talking about, and I'm sure he'll be able to now, Brian, as a hockey dad, especially a dad that's played in the NHL, now you have a son that's on the path to the NHL. What kind of relationship do you have with Tyler uh, about his on-ice uh, play? Like, are you the kind of dad that after every game, you know, it's like you're in the truck on the way home uh, telling him what he did good, what he did bad? Do you give him a little space? What kind of relationship do you have with him in that sense? Yeah, I, when he was a kid, I mean, I coached him for four years uh, when I retired, and um it was, it was hard to be quite honest. It was difficult because you're trying to, the one thing you're trying to get away from when you coach your own son is you, the first thing is I didn't want people to think that I was favoring my kid. Right. So that's the first and foremost. So I was hardest on Tyler, uh, on, on purpose to show everybody that I wasn't giving him, you know, a free pass. Um, but when I look back on it, you know, you wonder as a dad, like, geez, was I, was I too hard on him at times, you know, because it, you know, it, you only have, he's only a child once, you know, and you don't get those years back. Um, but I realized, you know, in the four years, I, I thought I went from being a head coach one year to being an assistant and primarily working with the defensemen and goalies and trying to, you know, stay out of his way and let the other guys do their thing. But I, what I realized most was that Tyler, um, he needed to forge his own identity and forge his own path. So I, I, I really wanted him to, to find his way. So I decided to send him away to, uh, to play prep school hockey at Avon Old Farms in Connecticut. And that was in his 10th grade year. And, and truthfully, that was the best decision that I, that I ever made because it really allowed him to spread his wings and be coached by other people without me being around. And there was no more this thought that, you know, I was, you know, the nepotism was there, it, you know, so, and I think it helped him. I think, it, you know, he really enjoyed it. He enjoyed the experience of being, it was an all boys school. So he was able to be there with a bunch of guys that, you know, they, I don't know what they did uh, on their free time, who knows, uh, but I won't even ask questions, but I think it was a great experience for him. And, you know, he played for John Gardner there, who's a legendary coach, uh, old school guy, had a lot of guys that came through that program, guys like uh, Brian Leach, Nick Benino, Cam Atkinson, uh, a bunch of guys. So it's a, it's, a, it's a good place for these kids to go there. And and and, uh, and Mike Pereira was the assistant coach too, another guy that played college hockey who was a younger guy. So he was very influential on Tyler. And they did a great job with him. And from there, 
he got picked to go play at the U.S. national program, and and obviously you get high level high level coaching there. So my from being a coach of his and talking to him, and you know I would you know I would probably overdo it at times, trying to give him too much information. And the only thing that I ever told him was that when I coached him, I said you know you don't have to be perfect every day. But I said the one thing you got your mindset has to be is like when you go to the rink every day, try to get better. I don't care if it's you know five percent better, one percent better. Don't don't make it a wasteful day. Like if you go there, work on something that you know. And I think that stuck with him. And maybe when he was younger, it was a little more difficult for him to understand because I think he's dealing with, you know, you got kids in the locker room and they're probably you know who knows what they're saying to, you know to each other, right? Uh, you know. But I think once he got away from me, I think he took that mindset. He's got a, he's got a really good work ethic on and off the ice, and and that's what I'm really proud of is that he he embraces it. He wants it. And uh, I think by getting around other coaches, you know, he, he gets different points of view and, and, and different ideas. And, uh, and now I can just be a dad. So now it's more like I leave him alone. And uh, if he needs it, if he wants advice, I tell him to ask me. I try to keep it as positive as possible and, and not, not, you know, not dwell on, on the negatives. Because I know as a player, uh, we all make mistakes. I, I made plenty of mistakes. Trust me. I, I've got so many bad goals. Uh, in my in the cupboard that I gave up that uh they happen and it's a you know it's just about learning from those mistakes and uh and trying to get better every day was it mom's decision that he wasn't gonna play goalie and follow in your footsteps yeah I saw there's been plenty uh Tyler's talked about it absolutely my wife Melissa uh (laughs) being first of all being a goalie in Philadelphia is a tough a tough place it might even be an even more difficult place for the goalie's uh spouse so uh she you know, she endured a lot uh, in my career, and uh, that was one thing she said. She said, "Please, can we not have him be a goalie?" <laughs> and and I said, uh, I, I respected her wishes, and I said, "Well, I'll, I'll you know, I'll I'll try and delay it as much as possible." And what ended up happening was it turned out that he he really liked the gear, like most goalies or guy or aspiring goalies, they just like the gear, they like the mask or whatever. So I ended up getting a mask for him from Bauer when he was a little guy. And after I got him that mask, the talk of wanting to be a goalie ended. I maybe put the mask on in his room and he kind of envisioned being a goalie, but it went away. And then he just, you know, fell in love with playing out and, uh, and scoring goals and, and that side of it. So it was good because now I think the, you know, the idea that, you know, you'd have the comparisons to a goalie dad is no, is no longer there and he's forging his own identity, which is, which is great. Yeah, I love that as well. But it was also probably pretty cool for him growing up because he was 10 years old when you retired. So uh, was he one of those guys who's a rug rat around the dressing room and always trying to be around? Yes. Uh, we had, a, you know, the greatest memories I had. I mean, I played most of my career in Philadelphia, but truthfully, the greatest memories that I have of him being around the rink was in San Jose. We had such a great group of guys there. And the coaching staff, Todd McClellan, was awesome. Like he, he let the kids come around the rink on game day in the mornings. And, uh, Jeremy Roenick's, uh, boy was there. Uh, Rob Blake's son was there. Uh, I'm trying to think who else, uh, Brendan Lemieux was there a little bit. Uh, Claude Lemieux's kid. He was a little older uh, at the time, but we had a bunch and I forgive me if I'm forgetting any, any guys, but we had a bunch of kids that would run around the locker room and just uh, just tear the place up. But before morning skates, they'd go and put their gear on and they'd take the ice uh, over at SAP Center and and they'd play and uh, so many great memories. And I'll never forget the one time Tyler actually did put on goalie gear that day. It was it was a non-game day 
And I got out there early to do some goalie drills with our goalie coach, Wayne Thomas and, and Evgeny Dabakov. And so we're on the ice a little early and Tyler's down at the other end. He's just a little guy. He's in, he's in his goalie gear and, and Joe Thornton, you know, comes on the ice and Joe is probably about the same maturity level as those kids uh, at the time. Like he steps on the ice. He just, he's right in there with all those seven, eight year olds. And he comes in and Joe, let's go a slapper from the hash marks, Ooh. right? At Tyler shelf Tyler's just a little guy he didn't even move the thing went in and out so quick and I'm stretching off to the side and I'm like my heart stopped I was like if that thing would have hit him in the throat or right in the chest it would it would have killed him you know and and then Jumbo you know puts his hands up he's like ah you know he starts yelling he's like ah I sniped on him and you know I'm just sitting there shaking my head and um you know but so many great memories and, and the guys are so great they allowed those kids and back then joe didn't have any kids so he was you know he was all over it and uh now i hear his kids are running around locker rooms and stuff so it's amazing how how uh things change but yeah those are he was a kid that was always around the rink and loved it hope you guys are enjoying our chat with brian boucher father of sens 10th overall pick tyler boucher but we gotta pause to quickly tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag the number one place to go the one place ross trusts, the one place i trust it's betonline.ag get off the sidelines and get into the action and you can do that with a nice promo code that's going to give you a good welcome bonus let me tell you how to do that head to betonline.ag sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use our promo code locked on that's an exclusive promo code because we're partners with betonline.ag and you'll get a 50 percent welcome bonus so how does that work you sign up for the first time you put a hundred dollars into your account initially and you're going to get fifty dollars of free play money now you can't just take out that free play right away so you got to bet some money to earn some money and the way to do that is you got to head to betonline.ag there's not a lot of action going on but there is some baseball action try your luck at some of that but the most important thing is that you're not sitting on the sidelines anymore you're getting in on the action if you think there's a pitcher that maybe is going to have an off game or there you know some lineup stuff some injuries you got a, a hot read on the weather in a ballpark on a certain day make your bets put your money where your mouth is at betonline.ag one more time guys don't forget to use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus at betonline.ag. Get off the sidelines, get into the action. It's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to our chat with Brian Boucher. Well, I think we found out the secret why Tyler didn't want to play goalie. I no think uh, the, the fear of a Joe Thornton <laughs> slap shot coming at you as a seven-year-old will put the fear in your eyes and say, yeah, maybe I'll be the guy taking the slap shots instead of trying to stop them. Now, you mentioned a bunch of guys in San Jose who he had a connection with. Were there some other guys throughout his career that, uh, that he really connected with and kind of kept a relationship with, like former teammates of yours that he still keeps in touch with? Or, like you mentioned, uh, is friends with some of the, uh, player sons or something like that yeah the, you know the guy I was only in, in San Jose probably a year and a half so once we moved from there we moved back to Philadelphia and uh you know he became friendly with uh Danny Breer's kids when we got to Philadelphia uh we all played youth hockey at the same spot there 
for Team Comcast, which eventually became Team Virtua, and I think they've changed names again, so I don't know. But uh, Danny, he had a boy, uh, I believe, I think it's Cameron, is a year older than Tyler or two, uh, and then he's got some older boys. So they were always around the rink in Philadelphia, and I think those guys do do keep in touch still now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of those kids, and you know, I – trying to think who else uh, hatcher's kids we didn't play with with with, with darian hatcher but his kids played over at comcast too. they were a little bit older they were neighbors of ours i don't know if they keep in touch but i mean you know there's a there's a fair amount of kids that uh you know were kids of guys that played for the flyers that played youth hockey in the area so he's you know he i don't know who they keep in touch with these days these kids with their phones they're all over it you know it's hard to yeah. keep tabs on all of them <laughs> No question. Well, we know the Sens have made it their mission to acquire all these sons of former NHLers. Do you see any benefit in that? Just having kids who've grown up around the game, like Brady Kachuk, Logan Brown, kind of two examples of that. Christian Willannon until this past year, all their dads having such long careers. What do you think a kid can learn from growing up in that environment? Well, I think they're around it. Uh, you know, they see it. Uh, it, it it's, I mean, you know, I, I think back to when I was a kid, my, you know, my dad played hockey as a, as a, as a as a kid but he never played in the nhl so he didn't know you know what it took to make it to the nhl and i think maybe the one thing the knowledge that you have as a a guy that played is that you know the kid can see you know what it takes understands the off season understands the sacrifices that need to be made uh at various times in your life in order to to get to that point and um so it's kind of like you get inside knowledge you know that that, that can help out but at the end of the day it's up to the kid i mean he you can only, you can get the knowledge all you want, but if you don't have the internal drive, the internal want to to be an NHL player, it doesn't matter all the information that you have. So all these names that you mentioned, these kids, yeah, they grew up around it. Uh, it's inside knowledge. It can definitely be beneficial, but you got to make the most of it. Uh, you have to be the one that decides you want to be an NHL player, uh, and your name will only help you so much. At some point, then you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do it yourself. And uh, you know, I think that's. I think Tyler understands that, you know, he's still young. He's an 18 year old kid. You know, I, some days I look at him and he's, he's big and strong, but I, you know, he's still, he's still in my eyes, a kid that has a lot of maturing to do. And, and I think, but he understands and he knows he wants it. And, um, you know, I think there's a benefit too. you think about genetics too. I mean, I, it, it can't hurt that, you know, these NHL players, uh, you know, these kids, the bloodlines are there as far as like, you know, athleticism or, or what have you, I think it, it can, it can help out in that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not, it's not a perfect science, but it, it, it certainly could be a, a head start to, to what could be an NHL career for these guys. Well, I didn't even mention Ridley Gregg, who he mentioned he was on our show last spring, and he said his family bleeds orange. So did you know Mark Gregg at all from his time in the Flyers organization? Gregor and I were roommates in the minors with the uh, Philadelphia Phantoms. Uh, great guy. Uh, he was a good hockey player. Mark was a good hockey player. He could fly. Had a heck of a shot. Great offensive player. You know, I you know, I think he was a first round pick of Hartford. Yeah, uh, same, if I'm not same, mistaken. Uh, same year as Jeff Sanderson. So the connection was crazy. How Ottawa took both uh, their yeah. sons last year. Kind of going with yeah. that same uh, for my last question. And I and I played with Sandy in Phoenix for a little bit too. There's another guy that could fly. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, Gregor was a guy that was a great player and. Uh, you know, I think, you know, with, with, with a guy like Ridley, uh, you grow around it and he says he bleeds orange. Well, his dad's working for the Flyers now, so I, I, I don't doubt that. But, 
you know, you just get, you know, when you're, when you're, when your family, like for me, all I do is watch hockey right now. It's my job to be an analyst. So I, it's, it's nonstop in my house. And I think even though my career ended and Tyler was young, I think he's seen, you know, how, how much passion I have for the game uh, and the work that goes into it. And I think that's something that's valuable too. Uh, even though I may not be playing anymore, even for a guy like Mark Gregg, he probably, you know, for Ridley, he probably sees his dad on the road scouting. You know, it's a, it's a lot of long hours. I mean, it's if you want it, you know, you got to work at it. Uh, it doesn't matter what position you are, whether it's in management, scouting, uh, TV, playing. I mean, it's you got to work in it. You got to love it. You got to have passion for it. And I think these kids are probably seeing seeing it from their dads. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what the Sens are trying to hit on here is is the work ethic that comes from seeing your your fathers do that for an entire career, which is great. Now, we were talking off air uh, about some experiences that you had playing against the Ottawa Senators in your career. Do you want to tell us about uh, the playoff series uh, where the Flyers were up against the Sens in 2002? Yeah, I, I don't think I have very many good memories against play, playing against the Sens. I'd have to dig my numbers uh, <laughs> against them, but... I always remember they had good teams uh, in the 2000s, uh, and I, it was a hard place to play. And uh, I, it was a 2002 playoff series, and I didn't start in that series. Roman Czechmanic was starting, but Roman, for whatever reason, would have great regular seasons. And then come playoff time, for no reason at all, it just seemed like his, uh, his, his, uh, his effort level, let's say, would drop off. And uh, it was noticeable. And so I think in that series, it was game four, and he decided in the second period, he gave up a couple of goals, and I, we traded for Adam Oates that year at the trade deadline. So we, you know, here we thought we were loading up. We had this team. We're going to have a long playoff run. And Roman, was he had different plans. It looked like he had no interest in even being there. And he, he gave up a couple of goals in the second period, and he started to skate from his crease in the second period to our bench, and he's waving to me. To, to come on the ice, like I make the decision to pull him, you know, like, it, like it's my call. And you know, I'm looking over at Bill Barber on the bench and, you know, Billy's steaming. Like he doesn't, he doesn't want to pull him, you know, cause he's, he's asking to get pulled and he doesn't want to pull him. And Adam Oates turns to me and he's like, what? He's like, I've never seen like this in my life. I was like, I know. I was like, I, I don't know what's going on here. You know? So Eric Desjardins pushing him back in the net and uh, it, lo and behold, he ended up, Roman got pulled at the end of the second period and, I came in, but the funny part was the game before, game three, it was late in the game, and I again, I wasn't playing. So I stood up on the I stood up in the back of the bench because my hips were on fire, and Dan McGillis hit Radic Bonk into the bench, and when he hit him into the bench, a stick came over the top of the players and smacked me right in the forehead and cut me open for 15 stitches with like two minutes to go in the game. Here Ouch. I am. I'm not even playing. I have no business with the game. And I end up going into the training room and I'm getting stitched up in my gear after the game. The guys, we lost the game. The guys come in the change room and they're like, what the hell happened to you? And I'm like, oh, don't even ask me. And I, you know, 15 stitches on my forehead. And then in game four, when Roman pulled himself, I had to play. I had a huge uh, egg on my forehead, 15 stitches. I got to put my mask right on over it. My mask was about like five feet from my face because it hurt so much to put it on. Like I, I wanted nothing to do with playing in that game and Roman's pulling himself. And then we had eventually lost in game five. I played game five. I think and we lost that game in overtime and Ottawa went on to bigger and better things. But yeah, wow. I never had very good memories of playing against the senators just because they had such talented players, guys like Havlat and Hosa and Alfredson and 
I don't know. I felt like there was a lot of goals going in that horn there in, in that building. It was so same loud. Same one as today. It's still the same, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, I have nightmares of hearing a horn like that, you know? Only because you asked and we're not shoveling onto your grave, but you had one win in 11 games against Ottawa. But I told you. I, I told you. <laughs> I, I, it felt bad, you know, and I now I'm. it's reaffirmed it was bad. Thanks But a hey, lot. <laughs> in that game five, both goals were on the power play that you let in. So what are you supposed to do on that one? And Patty Aleem, like Sens fans remember that series because Aleem had three shutouts in it. And you're no stranger to shutouts. You've got the modern-day record for longest shutout streak five games with the Phoenix Coyotes. So not exactly like you had the uh, 90s Ducks in front of you or the 07 Anaheim Ducks, I should say, uh, in front of you. But what do people bring up more when you're talking hockey with them? That five-game shutout streak or being in the wrong place at the wrong time when Ovechkin scored that corkscrew goal? Uh, Probably, so people are being nice, they'll probably talk about the (laughs) shutouts. but yeah, the funny thing about that that Ovechkin goal is it was Tyler's. What year did that happen? Was that 06? Uh, Tyler was. I think. I think it was 06. So that right was January, there. January 16th. Okay, it, it was Tyler's third birthday. Right. We never ever have afternoon games in Phoenix. It just it never happens. It's not like Philadelphia. So we have an afternoon game. And we're going to have a birthday party for Tyler. So we invite our neighbors. We get a box and we invite the neighbors and all their little kids and, you know, for an afternoon game. And I get absolutely torched in that game. I give up six goals to the Washington Capitals, who stunk, by the way. They probably were worse than us, uh, the Coyotes. And Ovechkin, this rookie guy, scores maybe the most epic goal ever in NHL history. And that was like the sixth goal uh, in the hockey game. It wasn't, you know, that was like, you know, in garbage time uh, in the third period when he scored that goal. It was just like you couldn't believe it. So after the game, uh, I talked about my wife having to live through the torture of being, you know, a wife uh, of a goalie. She says to me uh, downstairs, she goes, can you please put a smile on your face? Because we had all our neighbors coming over for birthday cake and stuff. Yeah, that's she goes, tough. Can, you, can you please put a <laughs> yeah. smile on your face today and don't ruin Tyler's birthday? And I was like, yes, dear, I can do that. You know, but that I'll never forget that. And, and for a long time, Alex Ovechkin was Tyler's favorite player growing up. And I have a signed Ovechkin stick, uh, saying happy birthday to Tyler, uh, from Ovi. Uh, but yeah, that goal, that goal stands out, but it all comes full circle in the end. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the positive then. Let's talk about that shutout streak because Ross and I were both goalies uh, back in our day. And so we love talking about goalies, goalie friendly shows. So when you're in a long shutout streak like that, like I'm curious, like as it gets longer and you haven't let a goal in, are you getting kind of more nervous that you're going to let a goal in and that's going to ruin the streak? Or is it kind of like, I'm untouchable. Like, I'm going to stop everything that comes at me here. And by that same token, Brian, are the teammates starting to give you the no-hitter treatment in the locker room? Yeah. Yeah, not mentioning it. Yeah. So, you know, you, you go through, you know, two shutouts in a row, three shutouts in a row. You feel like you're in the zone. You feel great, right? You're seeing the puck. You're reading plays before they ever happen. You're not late on plays. You feel, You just feel amazing. But then when the talk starts coming in about shutout streak, et cetera, et cetera, and you have off days and now you're you know, it starts to creep in a little bit and you start getting nervous. And I think for uh, the teammates, they were, they were getting nervous as well. They were like, you know, guys didn't want to take a penalty. They didn't want to be the guy that, that blows it. We've come this far, you know, 
And once you get past four games, now the talk was all, you know, that's all the talk was, right? And so, yeah, at that point, you start to tighten up a little bit and, and you're just thinking to yourself, like, imagine if I gave up a goal like a minute before the record, you know, like how, you know, you've gone this far and that would happen. Like it, it creeped into my head that it, it could happen. But I got to tell you, the, the guys buckled down. From, like you said, we weren't a great team. Uh, and it was in January when it's like the dog days of, of the NHL season. It, it feels like it's never going to end. And uh, the guys played like playoff hockey in front of me. I mean, blocking shots, uh, discipline play. I mean, the, the effort level that it takes in front of a goalie for something like that to happen is, is remarkable. And uh, I think those guys felt the pressure. And I think once I finally gave up a goal, they were like, thank God. Thank God he's got the record. Thank God we don't have to do this anymore. Probably <laughs> a relief, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I, and then after that, they gave up, uh, you know, two on O's and three on one. <laughs> <laughs> and the numbers came cr uh, crashing back to earth after that. So it was 332 minutes. Do you remember how long you beat the streak by? Did it come right down to the wire? Uh, so it was in, it happened early on in the third period in Minnesota. And this was pretty cool because, you know, you're in the, you know, in the United States, uh, you're probably in the, the you know, the, most knowledgeable hockey market uh, in the United States, right? Uh, aside from being in Canada, you know, Minnesota, these, these people know their hockey and sold out crowd there. And once it happened, it, like, I remember there was probably like a minute or two into the third period. And once I got past the moment, the crowd gave me an ovation during play. That's awesome. uh, like they started cheering. Yeah. They, their team was down like one, nothing. So they wanted a goal, I think, but they were like, they started to cheer for me. Like they gave me they, the whole crowd like erupted once I, I passed the, the moment where I broke the record. And then at the, when the next whistle came, uh, my teammates all came onto the ice and celebrated with me and the crowd gave me a standing ovation. And it was, uh, it was really special. Like it was pretty cool. I mean, you don't ever get uh, that type of moment on the road, but those fans in Minnesota are so knowledgeable and, and, uh, and classy. I mean, for them to do that, I think we eventually won the game two nothing. And uh, to do to do it there, and and for them to give me that that type of uh, response was was awesome. I'll never forget that. Yeah, you beat the record set by Gary Dernan in 1949, and you beat it by wow. about 30 minutes. But Boosh, what's going on? You let the Thrashers end that streak? You kidding me? And it was a one-one tie in that Thrashers oh, really? game at home. Yeah, so I gave up a goal. It was Randy Robitaille yep. score? Good Ottawa boy. Yeah, yeah, oh, good Ottawa boy. All right, uh, <laughs> still mad, <laughs> but he, yeah, he's he was at, he was on to my left at the so the the left circle uh, to my left, and he shot. It was going high blocker, and I was on. I had I had a read on it, and it ended up hitting my defenseman David Tanabi like right in the chest, and Tanabi tried to get out of the way, and it went off his chest, and then it ended up beating me glove side, and it was like seven seven minutes and change into the first period, I think, or something like that. And then after that, uh, we ended up playing a 1-1 tie against Atlanta. And uh, so, you know, goes, I still was locked in, but uh, unfortunately gave up that goal. But, you know, like it's, it goes off your own player. I had several of those breaks that went my way in, in the games prior uh, where the puck hit the post or missed the net. So, I mean, in the end, they all equal out. It's just, you know, something like that to happen. And, you know, you, you're in a zone, but you need the luck on your side as well. So I need to follow up again because I'm reading here that you were the third string goalie and that Zach Burke was one of the guys ahead of you and he's now the goalie coach in Ottawa. So what can you tell us about him? Uh, yeah, so Zach, the year prior, 
Uh, he was in Springfield playing for the minor league team for the Coyotes, and he had had a great year down in the minors. He got called up late in the season, and we had a bunch of injuries. I think Sean Sean Burke was injured, and so Zach came in, and I wasn't I didn't have a great year. Uh, so they, you know, towards the end of the year, they're giving guys chances, and Zach played unreal. Came in, he was lights out. Uh, I think he played maybe nine or ten games to end that season. And it was terrific. I mean, he was a big guy. He was a guy that had a lot of talent, to be honest with you. A big butterfly goalie. He's like six five. I mean, he took up the whole net, um, but he just couldn't stay healthy. Uh, and, yeah, he played great. And then the next year when we started the season, I think he got a one-way contract uh, to, to start the next season. And they actually put me on waivers, and, and nobody picked me up. And I was third-string goalie, and I didn't even practice with the team for over a month. It was the weirdest situation. Like, I was there. I was making good money. I thought I was in their plans, and and they decided to go with Sean and Zach as their two goalies, and they wouldn't even allow me to practice with the team. So for about a month, month and a half, I'd practice with the assistant coach, Patty Conacher and Benoit Lair, and a couple of guys that would come shoot on me. And then when the team came on the ice, I had to leave. And, you know, I would work, you know, they'd kill me in the weight room and stuff like that. And I, I didn't know what was going on. And then eventually Zach uh, got hurt uh, in Anaheim. I uh, pulled a groin or something like that, and – I got put back in, and, and then the rest was history. I got a chance to get back in there because Sean got pulled or got hurt and, uh, and got on this run. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was awfully uh, rewarding, you know, after having a, a month like that where you're, you're not part of the team and to be able to go in and do something like that. And I think that's – truthfully, I think that's why the guys played so hard in front of me was because I think they knew how frustrated I was earlier on in the year uh, being relegated to that, that spot, and I think they wanted to, to play hard for me, which was, which was great. Yeah, that's that's a tough situation, and uh, you gotta always be ready as a goalie. You gotta be ready for anything, as as you know. Now, final question for me, Brian, and thanks so much for giving us the time today. We really enjoyed it. This is a bit of a a funny question that I just thought of. You were drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers, and you returned there three or even four times. They kept bringing yeah, you back, cool. so obviously there was a good relationship there. Now, my question to you is. How do you go about designing your equipment when you've been on a team four different times? Like when you're in Philly for your fourth time, are you like, ah, I still got some Philly gear, orange and black in my closet here. I'll just wear that. Or are you like, okay, hey, I got to come out with something totally fresh here. What was kind of the thinking there with your mask and, uh, and your equipment setup? Yeah, I think once uh, <clears throat> I came back the second time, I did. I think I used my old Phantoms. Except when I came back, my I'm trying to think. The second time I came back, it was on a minor league deal. Uh, I'd had sh shoulder surgery, and just I'd been after the lockout a couple of different stops: Chicago, Calgary, Columbus, and uh, really lost my confidence and just needed to play. And I called Paul Holmgren, who was a GM, and I, and I just said, Homer, I, I just I want to come play for the Phantoms. I want to play in the minors. I just want to get my game back. I don't want an NHL contract. I just want to, I just want to go somewhere where I can play. So fortunately for him, he said, yeah, we got no prospects. So he said, we can sign you to an AHL deal. And I got a chance to play like 47 games or something like that. And then I signed, and then at the trade deadline, I signed with San Jose for the year and a half. And then I went back to Philly. But when I went back to the Phantoms that time that, you, that I'm talking about, I still had my old Phantoms mask uh, sitting in the garage. From when so you won dust... the Calder Cup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Late, so so like late 90s. That's awesome. Yes. So I dusted it off and uh, put some new padding in it. And I wore that mask when I played back for the Phantoms. Good luck, and I love that. Nice. And I love that mask. It was simple. It was like one big Phantom. If you, I don't know if you can ever see it in pictures if you Google it. I love that mask. I thought it was a classic mask. It wasn't overcomplicated. 
Uh, I wore that one. And um, when I played in some preseason games that year uh, with the, with the flyers, I wore my old flyers mask for that as well. And not until when I got back uh, again, after San Jose, did I come up with a new paint scheme, but with the same idea of the, my old, my old uh, fighter pilots that I had on the side, I, I had a, a newer version painted for that once I signed with the Flyers when I came back from San Jose. So, yeah, that's the one thing. Don't ever get rid of your stuff. You never know when you – but then when I got eventually uh, towards the end, the very end, I just got white pads. I figured, you know what, I'm, I'm getting bounced around here so much. Just get white pads. It can match with anybody, and you can, you, you know, you can go play on any team. And I ended up ending my career playing a little bit in, uh, in uh, Switzerland uh, before I retired. So, yeah. Uh, it was a fun ride. It was a and, fun ride. And you get to show the coach every stop. You get a little puck mark on there. Say, hey, look how, look how beat up these pads are. I'm making saves left, right, and center. Uh, yeah, and you're, also, wrong. You're, you're wrong. There wasn't a lot of puck marks on those white pads <laughs> in the end. <laughs> well, hey, the fact that you were wearing a helmet that had a brick wall on it when you set the modern-day shutout streak, that's got some poetic something to it as well. But, man, your style's translated to outside of the rink as well or outside of the field of play as you're usually between the benches my final question is what should we expect on ESPN this is a big move not only for you but for the game and growing it what are expectations like with this great crew that you have with you Ray Ferrero and everyone else going to be working there yeah it's it's exciting times uh you know it's a new chapter uh and before I get to ESPN I mean I will say um I'm gonna miss uh my teammates over at NBC uh I I I loved working for them. They gave me an opportunity to get into this uh, on the national level. There was so many great people there that loved hockey. And, uh, you know, it's, it was bittersweet, you know, right? You, you were with a group uh, for so long, and then uh, you find out it's not, it's not going to be with them any longer. But, you, you know, you latch on with a new team, and you're excited. It's kind of like when you're a player, you sign a free agent deal uh, in the offseason. You're sad to say bye to your old teammates, but excited for the new. And I think we got a great uh, cast uh, with ESPN. I mean, it's a uh, – it's a diverse group. I mean, uh, we've got some, I think Cassie Campbell, uh, is there, um, Hillary Knight is going to be part of the team. We've had Leah Hextall on our show as well. She's She's awesome. Yeah. Leah, Leah Hextall is going to be calling games. Um, Kevin Weeks is coming over from NHL Network. Uh, so, and I, you know, Barry Melrose will still be there from, from the old guard love that. Um, from back in the day. And, you know, they got people that love the game too. Guys like uh, Steve Levy and John Bouchergrass who just absolutely love hockey and have always been, uh, you know, pushing for hockey in the United States. And Sean McDonough is going to be calling games as well. He's a guy that, uh, you know, he's got some history uh, with hockey and, you know, grew up in the Boston area and he's a, a great play-by-play guy. So it's going to be, it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, for me as a kid in the United States, I grew up watching hockey on ESPN and it's kind of nostalgic for me. And uh, it's a real honor to, to be with them. I mean, uh, you think about ES, you think about sports in the United States on TV and you think ESPN, that's, you know, that's, that's how it is. And, uh, Hopefully we can uh, do a great job, get it out to the people in the United States and, uh, you know, and, and keep growing this game. And, you know, the guys that are going over to TNT, uh, some of those guys are my teammates at NBC, like Eddie Olchek and Kenny Albert, and Keith Jones and Anson Carter. They're all going to TNT. So they'll be doing a great job over there. I think it'll be great that it's on two different outlets. And uh, I'm sure we're going to push one another to, to be great. Well, your old head coach, talk about great, the great one, Wayne Gretzky yeah, in Phoenix. Yeah. He's going to be there. That's It'll be right. fun to see. But, okay, a final, final question, just because you mentioned Kevin Weeks, and we asked this to Jamie McLennan when Noodles came on with us last summer. What's it about being a former goalie 
that makes people such a, a great broadcaster in terms of a unique perspective of the game? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, um, it's not only the, the times that we're playing, but it's also the times that we're sitting on the bench too. I mean, we're watching the game a lot. Uh, we got to wear different hats as goaltenders sometimes. Like when you're playing, you know, you're focused on being in a position that is the most important position on the team, in my opinion. You know, like there's a lot of pressure that goes into it. You see things happening down at the other end of the ice. Uh, you understand, you know, why guys are successful at scoring goals against you. That's one thing. But then, too, you understand how best to defend against, you know, some of the best players. So you're constantly part of, like, a, a penalty-killing unit and probably the most important part of it. So I think you have a bit of knowledge on both sides of the puck. Now, I, I don't know what it's like to score a goal, so I, I can't really speak to that. I don't know what it's like to lay a body check on somebody because I've, I've never done that. Um, but you know, and then when you're sitting on the bench or you're in the locker room, you know, sometimes you, you, you're forced to be a, a teammate. You're forced to, you know, to be there for, for, you know, for a guy that might be struggling to lend a hand. So you, you know, you talk to guys and get different perspectives. And when you're working with guys after practice, you know, you're picking their brains. So you're acquiring all this knowledge in different areas of the game that I think help you help you afterwards. Um, you know, and but uh, you know, at the end of the day, you gotta love the game, and you gotta love watching the game, love being around the game. Like I said earlier, and I think for the most part, a lot of goalies that I talk to, they they love the game, and I think that's what probably helps them the most. Well, we love watching every game that you broadcast. Keep up the amazing work, and uh, your son's in good hands. Sends uh, all the sickos up here. We're really excited to have Tyler a part of the organization, and best of luck with the SBN. And hopefully, we can do this again down the road, Brian. Really appreciate your time. All right, guys, great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Stick taps to Brian for joining us. What an absolute beauty. Insightful, smart, and knowledgeable, and has stories to boot. So we really hope to have him back on the show and as an ESPN analyst, bringing the game to U.S. viewers. It's such a unique position inside the glass where he is. So we really appreciate him taking some time from his hotel room in Michigan where he's watching his son, Tyler, at the World Junior Summer Showcase. And it was an off day in that tournament yesterday, Pilsy, but today, Jake Sanderson, Tyler Clevin, Tyler Boucher, and Levi Marilinen will all be back in action. So stay tuned to Send Central. We'll try to get you some clips from that action. Yeah, it's awesome to get immediate action after the draft. Like well, we, we, had... we have Dev Camp. It's so sad that we can't have that this year. Damn. Oh. But, I mean, this is a pretty good consolation prize. You get to see them go up against other countries' competition. You get to see other teams' draft picks, how they're doing right after the draft. So this is definitely an interesting way to do it. And I, I'm stoked. I'm, I'm going to be following along at Send Central watching your clips, Ross, because if we get any more clips like we did of Tyler Boucher just being tenacious out there on the ice, throwing hits left, right, and center, that's what I'm all about. Sign me up. Yeah, well, well, we'll hopefully get you some clips. I've got some stuff to do later on with work and everything, but if not, later on for sure, because I want to see Tyler Boucher play myself. Hope that you guys learned something from Brian and just the work ethic and offensive upside. I think that's kind of the key word that fans are looking for right now, Pilsy, is that, yes, you can impress all you want with your physicality, but what else can you do as a 10th overall pick? to really catch fans' attention. So he mentioned it. This guy's working hard, and that's all you can ask for the kid. He's competitive, and he wants to be the best. 
Well, it's funny because I feel like Brian mentioned a bunch of the buzzwords and the words that Trent Mann used, right? Yep. He was saying, we want players that are going to work hard on their own. They have internal competition. Like they want to get better every day. They don't want to just be a certain type of player and then just plateau. Like Brian was talking about Tyler on the off season, getting bigger in the weight room, working on his offensive skills, not just running around hitting guys, trying to get speed in his skating, all these kinds of things that – Without even kind of needing help to do it, Tyler knows to do these things and he's in positions to succeed. He's with the U.S. program. He's trying out for the U.S. junior team right now. He's going to Boston University. Like everything's there for him. The work's cut out for him now. He's just got to start doing the work and putting in the time. And I have no reason to believe that he won't become a great NHL player one day. Yeah, and Simmer just put out on his Twitter that he talked to an NHL executive, and we've heard Tom Wilson is the comparable, and a sociopath for sure, and maybe a guy who fans don't want their players compared to. But how about the one that Simmer said his league executive source gave out? Dustin Brown. How does that sound? The captain of the LA Kings, while former, had it stripped recently. Now it's Anze Kopitar. But that being said, a hell of a career. A guy who scored over 20 goals seven different times. He's broken 30 as well. And he's a two-time Stanley Cup champ. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was underwhelmed at first because when I think of Dustin Brown, I think of the Dustin Brown that LA has been rumored to trade year after year because of his uh, contract he got after those cups. But then you start thinking back when they were in those cup runs and Dustin Brown is the exact type of guy we're talking about that the Sens targeted in Tyler Boucher. He's the, he's the like guy down the lineup that is going to cause havoc on or, other teams while scoring goals that allows you to have depth scoring. So these are the kind of guys that are key in deep playoff runs for your team. But they're also the type of complementary player that can play on the top line beside more skilled players and open up more ice for them. I just see him as the perfect complement to be on Tim Stutzla's right wing like Connor Brown's great there don't get me wrong he's defensively responsible but I think you want a guy who can separate players from pucks and create extra space for the more skilled guys on that line so we'll keep an eye because it won't be this year probably won't be next year but three years down the road I think you're going to see Tyler Boucher join this team at the perfect time when they're already a playoff team and he's the type of guy and the type of talent the type of competitive spirit that he's going to push them from a playoff team to that next level so i'm ecstatic and i love getting the background insight from brian boucher a hell of a show pillsy that was really enjoyable yeah i mean we don't have to talk too much before or after the interview here because all the juicy stuff is in that interview with brian boucher like just an absolute class act that he joined us for that long and uh, so quickly really good answers yeah, he, he's a pro. He's a pro. That's all. Pro. You don't get to work at ESPN without being an absolute pro. So once again, can't say it enough. Thanks to Brian Boucher. To get the, the father of the Sens first pick of the draft this soon after was just a thrill for both of us. So I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as we did. A sign of things to come to be sure as well. We're working on getting you the best Ottawa Senators coverage throughout the summer and free agency, which starts tomorrow. Well, teams are technically only allowed to start speaking with players at noon there's a few exceptions we know Zach Hyman had permission to search elsewhere and it's all likelihood that he's going to end up in Edmonton but tomorrow we'll have a preview of free agency who could be a fit for the Ottawa Senators and a whole lot more but for today we say goodbye have a great day for Brandon Pillar I'm Ross Levitan this has been the Locked On Senators podcast your team every day
Gil Martin here, host of the Locked On NHL podcast. Join me every Monday for the three biggest stories from across the NHL, including how newly traded players are fitting in around the league. Check out the Locked On NHL podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.